0: Again, my name is Pastor Scott. I'm the lead pastor of Bethany North and proud to be called that for the last six and a half years. Um, you have sermon notes in front of you that are woefully incomplete without uh, outline numbers, without even the proper title. Today we close out the sermon series. Uh, we will be preaching over the last, I will be, uh, preaching uh, over the last two Beatitudes, which cover the three verses, Matthew five ten through 12. Uh, and the title is... As we talk in persecution that happens in the final uh, two Beatitudes, the title that I want to give you this morning is called Ending Well. Ending Well. And my big hope this morning is that we would, as a community, keep our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, in being in Honduras and the people there, uh, before we pray and begin, it was a great honor to go as an ambassador for this community and very exciting to see what God is doing around the world and to come back to Seattle even more excited what God wants to do through us. And it's my firm belief that it's as we focus on ending well, it will give great urgency to us beginning well today, continuing to focus on that which unites us, which is Jesus Christ. We pray with me and we'll begin. Father, thank you so much for these moments ahead. We pray for this church. We pray that you would open our eyes up, our hearts up. Lord, that you would allow us now to receive your word, that you would allow us now to be like a field, planting seeds in us. Lord, we want to see you. We want to see you in the each and the every day. And we we acknowledge this morning that we gather in all sorts of different places, some of us in places of great abundance and others in places of scarcity. Uh, Some have come today with great joy in their heart and others bearing much sorrow, But we align this morning in these moments ahead under your scriptures as the men and women trying to be your disciples, trying to be your salt and your light in this world. God, open us up, we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Matthew 5, verses 10 through 12, ending well. We just spoke about Agros, Uh, they're praying over it, and um, I'm going to show you a few pictures here as we start. The village of Pietro de Horeb. Uh, 14, uh, sorry, 24 families. Uh, these are most of the heads of households. It's about half of the village. And this was on the final afternoon we were together having a worship service together. It was a great joy to, to start uh, what we will be talking more in the months ahead. A relationship that's merely a, a partnership of us praying for one another. We're not contributing funds to the people of Piedra, just our prayers. And excited for what God will do there. I got to preach with them a brief uh, message in English translated by my friend Guillermo into Spanish on John 15, uh, fruit from the same vine, and to talk about being brothers and sisters of the same family of Christ. And I want to um, tell you briefly about this um, young woman named Vivian, and Vivian um, has this really incredible story. We're going to see more of her story a little bit later um, We got to pray with Vivian in these coffee fields. Over her shoulder are her coffee fields that her father, Orlando, has been charged with stewarding, and they've fallen into Vivian's hands. And she's young, 19. She's vibrant. She works to get through school. Currently, she's working through the eighth grade. And she gives great thanks for what God is doing through the village of Piedra and her hard work. And as we were with her, uh, seeing what she's doing in the coffee field, seeing what she's doing down below the, uh, in her tilapia ponds, um, she, 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 she said this statement, and it really will serve as a framing statement for what I want to speak to you about today. She said, my future is here. My future is here. And I, I want to uh, just kind of keep that statement of Vivian's before us here as we're going to talk more of her story upcoming my future is here and as god's people to end with the beginning in mind we must begin with the end in mind this morning i hope is a great encouraging message to us for us as god's people to end well that we focus on where we want to end as god's people and it gives focus to how we begin and so i want to i want to speak encouraging word for you today And the reality is, we turn to the scriptures in Matthew 5, 10 through 12, as we have this command from Christ this morning, that we should have joy in the midst of the struggle. Joy in the midst of the struggle. And you might say, well, wait, I thought this was going to be an encouraging message. What are we doing here? Um, Hopefully, if you've been coming for any time now to Bethany North, you know that from my own story, I would care very deeply that we're raising disciples, people that focus very much on God's word and this issue of finding joy in the midst of the struggle. Not creating artificial struggles. We're all too aware of the struggles that are going on in our community, in our city, in our world, in our nation. Um, and yet Christ tells us here in, in verse 12 of Matthew 5 as he kind of wraps up the Beatitudes that we should rejoice. Because joy is not just a passing experience as a Christian. For Christ's followers, it is our duty and so today as we close with the final three verses which make up these two final beatitudes, Christ tells us for the first time that action will happen to us and that we are to rejoice in the midst of situations which might not be all that favorable to us. That there are things that happen to us which can be negative, can, can be can be persecution, can be oppression, can be difficult, can be downright lonely. And yet as Eugene Peterson translates in the message of Verse 10 and then verse 12, you're blessed, which Jesus says, when your commitment to God provokes persecution. The persecution drives you even deeper into God's kingdom. For witnesses have always gotten into this kind of trouble. And as we wrap up this teaching on the kingdom of God, it's the future promise in the present tense, has been our working definition. We want this encouraging word from Christ in the midst of struggles, we're called to rejoice. And so just a few uh, words of thanks. I actually landed about 1 a.m. yesterday. And uh, as Paul mentioned, my wife is at the hospital helping a friend deliver. So my mind is all sorts of scattered, but super joyful to be here. A word of thanks uh, to a theologian in Scotland named Martin Lloyd-Jones that had this sentence uh, in his uh, commentary that will really serve as our, as our big idea in a moment. Also, my friend Jack Brace, who led our trip, uh, and he and I rode... Uh, in the back of a pickup truck around Honduras talking about this very moment, collaborating on what we would preach together. And this is what we will preach together, Bethany Northeast and Bethany North today, is the big idea, and this comes from a commentary from Martin Lloyd-Jones, but the big idea of the call of Christ is to know who we are and where we're going and what awaits us when we get there. That's your outline this morning as we preach in Matthew 5, 10, 11, and 12. Our call as Christians is to know who we are where we're going, and what awaits us when we get there. And if we know these things, we will have joy in the midst of the struggle. So let's begin the first point in your outline. It's blank in your outline. I'm going to make you work for it a little bit this morning. I do have slides behind me. The call of the Christian is first to know who we are. That is the call of the Christian is to know who we are and whose we are. But that's a different message Today I'm going to focus on who we are. Matthew 5, verse 10. We're going to be looking at the Bible this morning. I hope you brought yours with you. We want to be people of the word. So you can be underlining and drawing arrows and scribbling. We want to be marking up God's word as a, as a lamp to our, to our lives, as a, as a guidepost. Verse 10, Matthew 5. Blessed are those who are persecuted, says Jesus, because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Persecuted in the original Greek is this word dikaiou, to pursue with malice. Many of us read the Bible today and we say, well, is this even, is this even really happening today, this kind of persecution? I was reading even last night of, of people, Christians in Sinai, part of Egypt, uh, between, uh, between Egypt and, and the Holy Land, where Christians are being killed for their faith right now. Since December, over 30 Christians that uh, have lost their life as ISIS is trying to, to build this caliphate state. They're going into this region of Sinai and, and asking for people for profession of faith, and people that profess as Christ followers are losing their lives. So in certain parts of this world, this very much is happening. Very much people are, are being persecuted. We've seen that historically, people persecuted for their faith. It happens externally. It also, regretfully, in the church at times happens internally. We persecute those inside the church. This happened historically, where Julian of Norwich, she was was persecuted by her own church. People not sure that a woman would receive this divine speaking by God. St. Francis, as he seeked, to, as he sought, rather, to live out the command to love others in his community, he was very much persecuted by his local congregation. Elizabeth Elliott, when she heeded the call after her husband's death to go back to the tribes that had killed her husband, there was pushback from her own congregation. My own friend, Shawnee Scott, who launched Bethany West Seattle on the very day, six and a half years ago, that we launched Bethany North, uh, recently just published this article and, at Fuller about the, what it's like to be a woman pastor, and she's, she's now left Bethany Community Church on good terms and, and she's now heeding a call in her life to be a, a mentor and discipler of other female pastors because she spoke, speaks to much, much discrimination in the church. We're not, we're not there yet. Externally, internally, in God's name, people persecuted. This is very much real. And as the first followers of Christ knew, they, they, they experienced this. So for the believers in Jesus who have been walking around with him, they saw this in the each and the every day. They saw Jesus was righteous and they saw Jesus was persecuted. It happens throughout the scriptures. They knew from the beginning that following Jesus was going to be difficult. There was no illusions of an easy journey. I mean, we kind of like oh man, I wish I could have been with Christ. I wish I could have seen him call Peter away from that fishing boat, Matthew away from that tax booth. If if it was that tactile in my life, it would be simpler. But for the disciples of Jesus, it was not simpler. They were aware each and every day that Jesus was persecuted because it was Jesus himself that was persecuted throughout his three-year public ministry over and over again. Uh, Matthew 9, 2 People accuse Jesus of blasphemy. Uh, people accuse Jesus of, of unlawful Sabbath observance. People accuse Jesus of being with sinners. In, in Matthew 9 and 12, people say that he has the power of Satan. Uh, people mock Jesus. People uh, call him Beelzebub. People accuse him of drunkenness over and over and over again in Jesus' ministry. He was persecuted. He was not the persecutor, he was the persecuted. And as Dale Bruner, my old college professor, says about this passage, he says, when we're really in the world, we will be put down by it. And the early church knew this. They knew this. I mean, the early church gathered in caves and below houses and on the outside of town. And the good news was called good news because it was good news for people that needed good news. The slaves and the oppressed and the women. I mean, the church grew with, with the people at the margins, and it wasn't until Constantine adopted Christianity as the official religion and drew crosses on the on their front of their, on their shields that, that, you know, for hundreds of years, Christians were, were killed for being believers. It was never meant to be easy. It was never meant to be easy. Super convicting, super easy to say that to you all. Way more challenging to live that out in my life. It was never meant to be easy. It's been a week with people, the rural poor in the middle of Central America, and you're just mindful. There's nothing easy about their existence. AgroS has given them an opportunity to pay back a land loan that they wouldn't have the opportunity for, because in Honduras, seven families own over 90% of the land. And so they're carving out with their very fingers the hope of which they're craving nothing easy about their journey. And sometimes in the, in the Christian church in the West, we wonder what's gone wrong with our witness. I don't know, but I, I just, I think we need to, to recognize the power of the attitudes is that from the beginning, it wasn't a promise of an easy journey. Yes, we are the prophets and we are the priesthood of, of all believers, but following Christ was a difficult and challenging enterprise. John 15, verse 18, Jesus says this, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. Remember what I told you, says Christ. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It's just tricky and challenging. I love the world. I love the people of the world. I'll be frank. I love an easy journey, and yet Christ calls us in the Beatitudes that that our power is, is formed at the margins, and our hope is not when things all go well, but our hope is true even in the midst of the struggle, and this has always been the truth of the scriptures. That's what I love when people dig into the Bible, because God's people have hope, but God's people do not have easier journeys. You think of the life of Joseph in the book of Genesis. Joseph, the the, the beloved, he was the first son of Jacob's most beloved wife, Rachel. Rachel waited for years to have a son. And so when Joseph arrived, though there were other sons, Joseph had a special stature as God's own. I love to preach that. I love to believe that. I love to tell all of you that you are the Josephs in the story. That someone waited for you and prayed for you. And your life has a meaning beyond all measure. But in the life of Joseph, it also did not mean, though he was beloved, and though he had a special uh, space in his father's heart, it did not mean he had an easier journey. On the opposite, Joseph, his brothers were jealous, and Joseph had some personality traits that, that were less than favorable. We can talk about those at a different date. He was, he was proud. But his brothers beat him and stripped him and threw him in a pit. And Joseph was sold into slavery where scholars say he spent about 11 years of his life in jail in Egypt. He was framed by the master of his housewife who, who falls in love with him, hits on him. Joseph does the honorable thing, does not you know, go for the, the affection of the woman and yet he was framed. And he's thrown in jail. He has a good family. He has a good upbringing. He follows God. And persecution happens. God does not issue immunity from suffering. God does not issue immunity from a reality that is less than perfect. And yet Joseph's call was to continue to have hope. And to continue to have joy. And to continue to be ready even as he awaits in prison for his next opportunity. Because even in persecution, there is an opportunity coming please hear that line of thinking very clearly. Even in the midst of persecution, there is opportunity coming. And I believe very clearly as your pastor that you need to be ready for both. And I won't just say, it's gonna be good and there's opportunity because it's, it's that too. But the reality of God's beloved people in the scriptures is persecution is real. And so Joseph is framed and he sits in jail Every with every excuse and reason to be bitter and to be disappointed and to be checked out But he still is ready for the next opportunity that comes So you can read the story this week I mean when the other people jail have these dreams joseph is ready to have this word of wisdom He's ready to have his his moment to to kind of profess what God has given him as as an insight because his love with God was not disrupted in the midst of his jail sentence. And so he he kind of he speaks this word of prophecy and and yeah, much later he's given this, 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 this position of authority in the house of Egypt, where he actually ends up saving all of Israel. And he says these prophetic words in Genesis what you meant for harm, God used for good. Friends, we've got to believe in the midst of troubles that opportunity will come. In my seven years here, some of the very most powerful stories is walking with people through the storm and then seeing their eyes light up when the dawn of their life arises. And it comes. I will tell you it comes. I mean, this happens over and over again. People that you know, go through these seasons of waiting for, for, for a relationship, waiting for seasons of employment, waiting and working for hope in the midst of, of infertility, waiting in places of divorce or, or discouragement with family. It's, it's not an easy journey, but seeing people in the community, seeing your stories, fighting for hope in the midst of the challenge, it's beautiful when you're ready to see God open up the next window of opportunity into your life the opportunity comes even in the midst of persecution and this is this, this gal vivian i told you she says i see my future here i was so impressed with her story and i'll continue to talk about it a little bit through this message because my story is intertwined with vivian's story 17 years old eighth grade has been through some tremendously difficult things her father struggles with alcoholism she lost her mother two years ago. And yet she's made this commitment with her life to see her future in the village and to work with every fiber in her being towards the hope that she believes she's being called for. Not an easier journey, but as the book of Romans, verse 828 says, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him. Everything God can use for good. So who we are as men and women, not promised easier journeys, but called to be focused on our future in Christ. And that changes like for this young woman, Vivian, working through the loss of her mother and and the presence of her father's alcoholism, a, a doubling down in her present vocation, to be working for every bit of the hope that Christ promises. This is who we are. And then when we know who we are, we can start to have more and more confidence in the trajectory that Christ has us on. This is the second point of our outline. The call of the Christian next is to know who we are and to know where we're going who we are, and secondly, where we're going. We talk a lot about journey at this church. This has been my church for almost 15 years. And I love that we talk about journey because it gives reality check that we can be saved by faith in a moment of profession of Christ, that it takes a lifetime of discipleship, of slowly growing in maturity of Jesus Christ. I've been reading a lot about you know, the future of the church and, and some of the future of this church And super excited about our next chapter because I think what God is preparing us for is this, what Dallas Willard calls an evangelism discipleship, that we need to be fired up about being disciples of Jesus Christ and this growing trajectory of maturity. That's what Christ is calling us to this growing trajectory of maturity. As Eugene Peterson says, it's a long obedience in the same direction. That's what our faith journey is like. We're saved in a moment, we're sanctified in a lifetime a long obedience in the same direction, that God is changing us and forming us. And as Jesus says in Matthew 5, 11, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Because of me, says Jesus. Now that's the filter. Jesus says when when they're persecuting you and, and saying things about you and insulting you because of me, he says you'll be blessed there in the midst of a, of a future promise of life in the present tense, that, that there's an endurance that's gained on this journey that we're trying to be about, that our endurance is gained when we continue to walk with purpose towards the future that Christ has called us to. We want to end well. When I, when I think about ending well, it means I have to begin well because I can't get to the end unless today matters. The, the kingdom of God, the future promise in the present tense, for too long we spent all our time thinking about the end which starts with a new beginning because who we are is christ's own and where we're going is a future where christ will reign and it it matters that we live into that presence now this is the endurance for the journey and happens he starts to give a clarity to our purpose Clarity, the purpose that I saw over and over again in the village this last week, there's such a clarity to their purpose. They're working to repay these land loans. They're working on the coffee beans. They're growing tilapia in the ponds. They're they're feeding their family. There's there's nothing extra. There's no Facebook, all right? And there's just such a clarity to, to who God has called them to be. It's got me thinking a lot about clarity. How can I be more about God's active reign in my life? I want active steps of this clarity of purpose of God's disciple. As we get watered down and we get busy. As Socrates says, beware the barrenness of the busy life. Because it is barren. I've spent a lot of time in barren seasons, super busy, not at all clear of that my purpose is God's first. And that will change the way that I do marriage. It changes the way I go to work in the morning. It changes the way I'm raising kids. And it's not easy. So I need each and every day to be reminded, God, make me clear. You're calling me to a trajectory towards an even better future. And it starts today. I don't want to be busy. I want to be clear I want to be clear. I want Christ to reign in my life. I want us as a church to continue to grow a clarity about why we exist. I was listening to this great podcast with this author, Greg McCown. He wrote this book called Essentialism. And essentialism is this this growing, you know, kind of in vogue, you know, kind of thought pattern to organizing our time and our purpose. But to hear the author speak about essentialism is very powerful he was talking about, about that, that better living is, is defining our, esp- our essential and having the clarity to let that guide our each and every day. And he says that he doesn't want to come to the end of his life discovering he's invested in things that are busy but not productive. And he talked about clarity of essential living is a choice. And so says author Greg McCown, the ability to choose cannot be taken away or even given away, but can only be forgotten. It talks about the, the pursuit of essentialism, and so as Christians coming to the end of this series, focused on the kingdom of God, studying these, these small verses here at the beginning of the Sermon on Mount, what is essential about your faith? And you're here this morning, you could be anywhere, or you're listening later online, because you are somewhere else, we love you, what is essential about your faith? Jesus says, you'll be persecuted, it's not going to be easy, but you'll be blessed in the midst of that clear purpose. And he seems to say over and over again in in the Beatitudes, "This seek that clear thing, seek the stuff that gives your life purpose. Start with the end in mind. As God's people, we're mindful of Psalm 141 where David says, my eyes are fixed on you. Where we're under attack, we, we forget so much that our clarity is being God's people here. That the future promise in the present tense means my life matters now. Our sense of narrative, says the author Greg McCown, is under attack. We think we can have all things now, but we cannot. And so living as God's kingdom people says, we know it'll take a while, but we want to get started today. We want to be the very presence of Christ today. We need lives of clarity, focusing on each and every day steps of making Christ's reign more visible in our life. And this is what Jesus says in the verses immediately following the the Beatitudes. He says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, says Jesus, let your light shine before others that may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is our calling, that we are to look like salt, (laughs) light, sorry, and taste like salt. There should be no missing us. There should be no missing us. I don't know about you, but I will tell you that there's times where I just go missing. I go missing in my marriage. I go missing. I mean, I'm there, but I'm not there. Do you know what I mean? I'm busy, but I'm I'm not I'm not clear about my purpose with my children. I'm there, but I'm not there. Sometimes in my work, I'm I'm distracted. There's a clear life as Jesus followers. It says it won't be easy. But this trajectory that your life matters now because where you're headed, so believe it and act with purpose and belief, even in the midst of things that might be very, very challenging. In 1 Peter verse 10, Peter writes this: that the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever, amen. And so when we're suffering, when we're persecuted, the promise is that God will restore us and confirm us and strengthen us and establish for his glory. For his glory. I mean, the thing about Vivian that's so remarkable, you guys, her father uh, is mourning His wife, and he was, when I was there three years ago, he was one of the hardest workers I knew. His name was Orlando, still a very good man. He's turned to drink now and alcoholism and losing sight of his crops on the hill. And we got to go down to his tilapia pond with his daughter. She's been given command of tilapia pond. We got down there by the pond, and it all started to come back. Because three years ago, at that very pond, My wife and I had a a ceremony of remembrance for our son, Fisher, because Fisher, who would be almost nine years old right now, died. People gave money in his name. We donated it to Agro's. My wife had this passion around water in the Agro's village. We celebrated at Orlando's Pond. We rang a bell for Fisher, that though we had lost a child years before, that our hope was still intact. And so this girl, Vivian, she's the daughter of the namesake of the pond on which we celebrated my son three years ago. And I wish I got down to that pond and and there was, you know, uh, music playing and new, you know, dwelling units around it and and flourishing. You know what we got down there? The pond was a little bit disrepair. Orlando's been drinking again. And Vivian's this 19-year-old girl fighting for everything that she's working for at the same body of water, believing that my future is here, me realizing at that pond, Orlando's pond, how much our lives were connected. Me, a father who lost a son too soon. Her, a young girl, trying to keep her father alive in the midst of his alcoholism, mourning the loss of her own mother. We have a shared history. And Christ says, you will suffer And and you will face persecution. But he takes this turn in in the final point of our outline. In Matthew 5.12, he takes a turn that the call of the Christian is to know what awaits us when we get there. If we're to know who we are and where we're going, that we're constantly to be mindful as God's people about what awaits us when we get there. That we are headed towards a future where we will know Christ face to face. We will experience, as the book of Revelation, no more crying and no more tears, where the sword will be bent into a plow, where there will be hope, where there will not be evil institutions and bad politicians and alcoholism and death of loved ones, that there will be hope and restoration of our bodies and our spirits. And it's not in the clouds somewhere, it says the book, uh, it says the scriptures, it will be an establishment of a new Jerusalem here on earth. There is hope. That's where We're going. And that's what awaits us, is, it, is it, we'll know Christ face to face. Matthew five twelve says, Jesus, this is the audacious statement he says to wrap up the Beatitudes. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so we know that our life matters now more than ever before. We've been in the midst of this sermon series, and what feels like to me as a 43-year-old man, 42, 43, somewhere in there, uh, you, I'm now to that point where you don't really remember. So if you're younger than me, you're like, wow, that's really scary. Older than me, you're like, I get it. Uh, feels like really dark days, right? Feels like a lot of fear. I don't know if you're feeling it too. We've had the, the audacity to be preaching these Beatitudes week after week, trying to hear from Christ himself. And I have said before, and I'll say it again today, that the life of the church matters more now than ever before. It is our testimony of who Christ is in us that matters now more than ever before. That as Christ lives in us, it's our personal transformation that sets the stage for mass evangelism. And it means from that place of personal transformation that we get to speak up for, for the marginalized and, and, and kind of say what we, what we want to say around the issues of the day. But we're more than the issue of the day. We are Christ's own. And what awaits us as followers, imperfectly following Christ, is that he will call us beloved. And he will greet us with a kiss and a hug. I and mean, you just imagine that. Do you, I don't know how often you do, but when you think about what awaits us there, it's, it's so hopeful and so clear to purpose today. What awaits us is the presence of Christ, and it means that our life today matter now more than ever before. Two quick warnings about Matthew 5, 10, 11, and 12. That the call of Christ in our life and the persecution that waits, it can't lead to these two things. I mean, it can lead to more hopefulness, more purpose And today. It can't lead to these two things. The first is pride, or I want to alliterate, so I call it haughtiness. It can't lead towards us being haughty and proud and believing that when we're persecuted, it's really just the world not understanding us. It can't lead to pride. Jesus says himself, you're blasphemed. you're persecuted because of me. Jesus was not proud. We can't be proud. So many stories in scripture tell about this. This morning, I feel like God wanted me to share this one with you. King David. Oh, I've just got this thing going right now. So encouraged by the life of David. When Samuel shows up to anoint the tribe of Jesse, he shows up and he sees, he sees David's oldest brother, good looking, Eliab, tall, powerful. <laughs> the, the priest says, I guess it's here. And God says, no. I don't look like you look, I look at the heart. And so bring in the youngest and least qualified. And that's the one that Samuel anoints with oil. Now interestingly enough, in Psalm 141, David says this, David the author of Psalm 41, he says, let a righteous man strike me, that is kindness, let him rebuke me, that is oil on my head, my head will not refuse it. He was anointed earlier in life and even now David said that if somebody is righteous and they rebuke me, that's oil in my head because even King David, even with a heart after God's own heart, we know his story. Adultery, murder, less than perfect, none of us in this room immune from advice. We need people to speak into our lives. When people speak into our lives, we can't just say, ah, blessed, when, you, when persecuted, obviously I'm nailing it, the people don't get me. My spouse doesn't understand me. My kids don't justify me. Trouble at the workplace. Jesus, you must be really blessing me. That's called pride. Cometh before the fall. Jesus says, do not be haughty. No, even disciples, all of us, we need guidance and growth in our trajectories. We need people speaking into our lives. Who do you trust? Who can you go to and say, hey, what do you think? I'm having problems at work. Who are you praying with? We need that kind, of, that kind of authenticity with one another. Do not be haughty. And secondly, do not be full of hatred. Don't think that hating others is the same as being persecuted. It's actually just hating others. Because Jesus himself was the hated one. He was the persecuted one. And he constantly sided with the powerless. His love was forged in alliance with the most vulnerable Vulnerable. And so we see people in our country, see people around the world that are just hating others and claiming it's in God's name. It's not in God's name. The Westboro Baptist churches of the world that are preaching hatred, saying that God hates us and hates victims of natural disasters because he's he's angry at sin. No, Jesus says, you'll have trouble in the world. And he also calls us to a life of righteousness. It's not all grace. Jesus isn't saying, I love you, don't change. Remember the woman adultery. He says, Is no one going to condemn you? No. Well, I won't condemn you yet, but leave your life of sin. He doesn't want to see us enslaved. But he also doesn't want us hating people in the world and calling it Matthew 5, 10, 11, and 12. Jesus is calling us to have this radical love for him that transforms our every step into this world. And it's very, very tricky right now, church. Very tricky in the midst of this political climate. Because in this very room, you say march, and some say yes for women or for right to life. You say I voted, and some of you because of your beliefs voted for many different candidates. And some of you have drastically different beliefs on different people groups in our community. And yet we are forged to have opinions that come first and foremost of our identity with Christ. And that is the rubric on which we are called to stand. And what awaits us is when we focus on Christ himself. On the each and the every day, God's call in my life, the great command, love God and love others. The great commission, go into all the world preaching Jesus and doing what I command you, says Jesus. Micah 6, 8, walk humbly with your God. and Do justice and love mercy. We double down on what we know in the midst of things that we don't know. And what do we know with clarity? Jesus Christ. And our witness becomes more powerful in the midst of what Christ is calling us to be. And friends, I've got so much more to say to you, so much that I'm excited about in the months ahead as we look at being more of a blessing in the world and being more of a light and salt in this community. But as we wrap up today... Be encouraged in the midst of all that's not perfect. God's not forgotten us. And even if you're in a season of waiting behind bars, even if you're struggling to find purpose in what God's doing right now, he's calling us to continue to focus on him and rejoice and find joy and be ready for the next opportunity to declare his name. That is the end of the story. That is the end of the story which guides my first step. Now, my brother and I got the chance to go to Israel some years ago, and um, we were up on the Sea of Tiberias, and we were short on money and short on hope and very discouraged. And those of you, some of you recently were in the Middle East. You know, it's a place of great fear. We're walking around in the dark, guards on every corner, uh, people with machine guns. And we just knew we needed to get down to the Sea of Galilee. We just wanted to get down and just, and, and just see the sea. And see the water and see where Christ was. We, we needed some hope. And literally, we walked kind on of outside of town. Our, our credit cards stopped working. We were, we were homeless for the evening. We were discouraged. We were despondent. There's this fence. There's places of great fear. So we just need to get to the sea. So we, we climbed this, this, this fence of this closed beach resort. In the month of January, the resorts on the sea were all closed. We climbed it. And we found a little guard tower down by the sea. we laid out our sleeping bags And we prayed and we went to sleep and we woke up to the most glorious sunrise over the Sea of Galilee. It was just so, it was so powerful for me because the power of the light was made more clear to me because of how dark the evening before had been. Friends, the more difficult the journey, the more beautiful the sunrise. So may you continue to hope and believe and have a clarity of what God's doing. You are His, He has you on a trajectory. Maintain that clarity. And know what awaits you as a face-to-face experience with your Savior. Keep the hope. Maintain the joy. Rejoice. Will you pray with me now? Father God, thank you so much for a morning around your scriptures that just align our lives. Lord, there's there's so many things that that feel worrisome. As they were 2,000 years ago. We tend to look back and imagine it was easier than it was not easier then you were preaching these words of rejoice and joy in the midst of the Roman Empire then. And so, Father, we pray that we would be people of rejoicing, people that would know your joy, people focusing on the end of the story and that giving a purpose to the beginning steps we take today. Lord Jesus, we love you. We love what you're doing, even in the midst of what we don't understand. We're going to love you even when we're behind bars. We're going to we're going to love you in the midst of the dark and night. We're going to love you in the in the cities right now that are at war with one another. We're going to we're going to trust you. We're going to advocate for people at the margins and for the unborn and and, and Lord, we're going to continue to be people of hope because our hope is in you. You are calling us to be salt. You're telling us to be light and we will not forget it. We cannot forget it. We're yours, God. Live in us, we ask and pray and beg. And all God's people said together, amen. As we close this morning, as we close, will you go ahead and stand with me? We have, for the final time, for those inspired to do it, as we close here in song and then we'll pray and we'll go. If you, We've got these cards we've given you as we've given you these last couple of weeks. I can see it. I can see it. And we've got the wall as you leave here and there's tape out there. What are places you have seen joy in the midst of persecution? What are places you've seen hope in the midst of the darkest night? Would you write down something uh, here as we sing or as we close and just tape it to the wall? Because I don't know if you notice, but people are experiencing hope as they see what God is doing in the lives of us as community. And so maybe your little word of hope is going to bless someone else in the community. We'll close with that as we close in song. Let's stand as we sing.